Good morning, everyone. Happy Valentine's Day. You guys are excited about Valentine's Day. Who's celebrating today? Every guy's hand should be up, even if you don't have anything going on. Your wheels should be turning. Like, this is just a chance to buy you some time to think about something to do uh, later on. I was also uh, made aware by one of the single ladies in the church that this is Single Awareness Day. Anybody celebrating that? Loud and proud? Yeah, a few of you. Awesome. So no matter where you're at today, I just want to say welcome. Happy Valentine's Day. My name is Tom, for those of you who don't know. And um, what we're passionate about, honestly, is every Sunday morning is creating an environment, creating a space where you can come no matter where you're at in the faith journey. So if you're here today and you're limping in, you got some struggles, you got some doubts, maybe someone drugged you in here today um, or drugged you and got you in here today. Um, <laughs> However you're, you got in here, uh, maybe you were running after God, you're passionate about Jesus, our hope is that no matter where you're at, we can find common ground to just figure out who Jesus is, what he's all about, and if he's real, what does it mean for my life? And um, today's going to be no exception, it's going to be an awesome day, I believe God's going to speak in a big way, but before we um, jump in, I want to make you guys aware of something coming up on March 5th, married couples, mark your calendars, March 5th, that's a Saturday uh, in conjunction with our sermon series, The Best Advice I Ever Got, we're going to do a date night out on The Pursuit. So we're going to, at our downtown location that night, we're going to offer free childcare. And the first 40 married couples that stop by the downtown location that night are going to get a date in the box. It's going to be this exact box with a bunch of stuff in there for you guys to have fun. Basically, anything you'll need to have an awesome date minus your dinner reservation. So you'll want to make that ahead of time. We figured that would be too controversial. Some of you guys like 10 North Main. And some of you guys like Buffalo Wild Wings, so it'd be quite a diverse group of people, so we want to leave it up to you, but I'm telling you, married couples, the first 40 married couples to show up at March 5th at our downtown location will get a free date in the box, not to be confused with the Justin Timberlake, Andy Samberg skit, and for those of you who are laughing right now, the altar will be open after service, and for those of you who don't know, you're fine, um, stay as an uncorrupted good person. And um, date in a box, okay? Boom. What time? Times will be on the news blast. <laughs> Check it out, the news blast. Check out the news blast. You'll get the times for it. But um, yeah, we'll be hearing more about the details of it coming forward. But like I said, you got to be married. You got to be one of the first 40 to show up at the downtown location. You'll get this. It's going to be really, really fun. I promise you that. Um, so what we're doing is uh, Nick kicked us off last week in a brand new sermon series called The Best Advice I Ever Got. And one of the things that we were passionate about is we want to do a sermon series that was focused on marriage primarily. So last week, to not let the singles kind of leg behind, Nick started off the best advice I ever got sermon series on doing a powerful message to the singles. And I haven't watched the whole thing yet. Um, I caught glimpses of it online. And uh, I know just based on the, the response on social media that God used it to really challenge some people. And we praise God for that. But for the next three weeks, we're going to dive into specifically get into marriage. And the reason why we're doing so is without a doubt, without a doubt, it is a landslide that the major crisis that we get on a recurring basis in our church today is marriages that are in crisis, marriages that are in struggle. You know, we get things like addiction, we get stuff, people dealing with, you know, depression, you know, we get people who are struggling with all sorts of different things, but I'm telling you, overwhelmingly, the biggest thing, challenge that we face in our church is marriages that are going through difficult times. And so our passion 
as a church is to see marriages thrive. We believe that marriage is something beautiful that God created. Scripture says that marriage is actually a reflection of Jesus Christ and his church. We believe that in Genesis 2, which we'll talk about a little bit later, God created marriage. He's the creator of marriage, and he created it to reflect him, Jesus Christ, and his church, his bride, between one man and one woman. And uh, what we're going to do for the next few weeks is we want to just take some of the most common or the, the best advice that we've ever got and look at it through the lens of Scripture and hopefully um, see some married couples get some traction in their faith. Now, if you're single or you're dating somebody, I promise you this will be relevant for you. There's a broader application here than just marriage, even though we're going to speak directly to the married couples in the house. And if you're single and you want to get married someday, this is a great chance to begin to uh, figure out what you want your marriage to look like, and it's going to be um, awesome. I, I, I believe that today's message has the potential to change the course of some marriages in our, in our church today. So a month ago, uh, we posted on social media, we said, hey, share with us the best advice that you ever got about dating, relationships, and um, we got some advice, and it was so good to read from some of the older, you know, the wiser couples who've walked a few years, and they shed, shared some of their story, they shared some of the nuggets of truth, and selfishly, it was awesome for me to just read through it, and I just went, man, that's so good, I'm going to put that in my marriage, I'm going to put that in my marriage, and this is what wisdom says. Wisdom would teach that you should find somebody that you aspire to be like and sit down with them and glean some wisdom from them. So if you're a young married couple and there's a couple that you know that have done some things right, that have, that have kind of been a model couple to you, one thing that's really wise and I advise you to do is just sit down with them and just say, ask a lot of questions. Say, what's been the hardest thing that you guys have dealt with? What's been the secret to your success? And just listen and soak and listen and soak. And that is just good principle for no matter what you want to be in life, but especially the married couples. Spend some time with some seasoned couples. I promise you it will be rewarding. It was so good for me to hear that advice from the couples that, that wrote in. Um, married, or newlyweds, now, <laughs> newlyweds, you think you know everything. Um, you're going to hear what I'm going to say today, and you're going to go, blah, 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 heard that in premarital counseling, read that on a book, yada, yada, yada. And um, what's interesting to me is on occasion I get to do premarital counseling, and it's like they, they get it. The light bulbs are coming on, but they don't really get it. Am I right, married couples? They're still like in that honeymoon phase. They're just like everything is all good in the neighborhood, and you can just tell them whatever, and they're just smiling, going, that's not going to be us. We're not going to be that couple that struggles, and then six months in, you have coffee with them again. They go, oh my gosh, this marriage thing is tough. Like, I totally now see what you said, and so um, this is going to be good. It's going to be really, really good for these next few weeks. Um, today's piece of advice that I want to share, I honestly, like I said a minute ago, I believe it has the propensity, it has the ability, if taken and heeded, to change the course of your marriage. It's one of the most famous pieces of marriage advice or dating advice or relationship advice that Christians give today, and partially is because it's got a nice ring to it. As pastors, we love statements that have nice rings to it, like that'll preach really well. And this piece of advice is one of those ones that maybe you have heard before, and maybe you've just said, okay, that's nice, but I'm here to tell you that I believe wholeheartedly if we take this piece of advice and we apply it into our marriages, it will be a game changer. And this is what the advice is. Couples that pray together, stay together. Couples that pray together, stay together. Anybody heard that advice? Anybody been given that advice? Anybody? A few of you. Excellent. 
Now all of you know that that's a great piece of advice. Couples that pray together stay together. Now, when I was a, a newer Christian and I was looking to date and, and figure out, you know, look for a spouse, someone told me, hey, Tom, um, couples that pray together stay together, so be careful who you pray with. And I thought that was so good because there's some people you don't want to be praying with because you don't want to be stuck with, if you know what I mean. And uh, maybe you made that mistake and you can kind of elbow the person next to you. And, um, but so I thought that was funny. They said, be careful who you pray for. And so this is the truth right here, and it's so simple, and some of you are not going to believe me that it could change the course of your marriage, but if you, may, if you as a couple would pray together, together, every single day of your marriage, that you would ultimately stay together. Now, some of you guys are going, that, that can't be true. That's way too simple. How would that even work? You know, like, because most of us, when it comes to marriage, if our marriage is struggling, we don't want just, hey, couples that pray together stay together. We want, like, here's the five things that you should do to have a better marriage. And here's the six books that you guys need to read together to have a better marriage. And here's this awesome conference that's coming to town to have a better marriage. So to, for me to get up here and tell you that couples that pray together stay together, you're going, that just sounds a little too kind of churchy, kind of too like good to be true. But what's crazy to me is that if honestly, if you don't do anything else well as a married couple, but you pray together every single day, it will virtually fail proof your marriage. Now, a year or so ago, uh, Josh, my brother-in-law, he was speaking during a sermon series called Old Fashioned Gentleman. We were talking about what it means to be a man biblically, and he was challenging the men to pray with their wives and pray with their families. And he shared a statistic. He said that uh, for couples that pray together daily, the odds are, or the statistics show, that it's about one out of a thousand marriages and in divorce. Now, I heard that, and I had to stop in my tracks because you guys know the statistics. You guys heard it, that it's like 50% of marriages get in divorce. That means out of two marriages, one ends in divorce, statistically. But if couples pray together every single day, it drops to one in a thousand. That's .001% of couples that pray together daily actually end in divorce. Now, I heard that, and I said, that is insane to me. And it honestly caused me to go reevaluate what Shannon and I were doing, why we didn't make this whole thing of praying together a, more prior, a top priority if that really was true. And it hopefully should make you stop today too as you hear me talk about it. And the crazy thing is, is I meet many couples, and I met with, unfortunately, some couples over the, over the few years here that are really struggling in marriage, and I'll ask, you know, hey, do you guys pray together regularly in both well, if I say, hey, do you both you know, know Jesus? Do you love Jesus? Both will say, yes, I know Jesus. I love Jesus. We attend the pursuit. It's awesome. Then I'll ask, do you guys pray together regularly? And they'll say, no, we do not. And it's such a common thing. There's so many couples in the context of the church that would verbally head acknowledge Jesus as the salvation, as the savior of their soul, but yet they don't invite Jesus into the marriage by the act of praying, by just simply becoming unified. Now, there's all sorts of excuses, and one of the biggest excuses, and tomorrow I'm going to write a little kind of a recap of today's message that you guys can kind of follow up with, but one of the things I'm going to talk about is one of the excuses that we come up with is that it's awkward. 
Right? Isn't it awkward? Like, I don't, I don't know how to pray out loud. I don't know you know, pray with my spouse. That's kind of a weird thing to do. Well, let me just say this. I bet your first kiss was awkward. It didn't stop you from doing it again, did it? Some of you got babies, and I think that's part of the step that gets there. And you guys have that as a pretty regular habit in your marriage. So just because it is awkward at first, and yes, it will be awkward, that is not an excuse to not do something that I believe is foundationally and fundamentally one of the most important things that we can do as married couples. So what I want to do is I want to show that this isn't just some cool statement that pastors or Christians say that couples that pray together stay together. I believe there's a case biblically for it. I believe the Bible speaks to it. Now, I know you won't find a Bible verse, you know, like in, um, you know, John that says, couples that pray together stay together. You know, we don't have that. But I believe as you begin to look into the scriptures and read between the lines, you will see that this is one of the paramount things that couples can do. To, to build a firm foundation. So what I want to do is, if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn with me to Matthew chapter 18. We're going to stay most of our time in Matthew chapter 18 today. And we're going to um, be in the sections on verse 15 through 20. And what's interesting is, um, if you've grown up around the church, you know Matthew chapter 18, verse 15 through 18, is the, is the scripture we use when there's church drama. Like when somebody has hurt you in the church, when there's conflict, when someone did something you don't like, us pastors, we go, well, hey, you know, why don't you read Matthew chapter 18 and follow the principles here to basically how to deal with conflict. And it's a passage that Jesus is speaking on how to deal with conflict. Very fitting for marriage, right? Amen. Any conflict in marriages? Yeah, we, you, know, you get into a marriage, there are fights sometimes. And if you are married and you try to tell me that you haven't had a fight, you're a liar. You haven't been married. And you either just got married and, and you haven't even been on your honeymoon yet. And so um, conflict resolution is a paramount thing to a successful marriage. And so Jesus is speaking on how to resolve a conflict successfully. And I'll just summarize verse 15 through 18 because the key scriptures that I'm going to key on come in verse 19 through 20. But basically verse 15 through 18 talking about conflict resolution says, hey, if somebody offends you, and this isn't just about marriage, by the way. This is a lot broader application. This is just if anybody. If someone offends you, you go and you talk to them directly about it. You share your heart with them. You don't get on Facebook and you don't passively aggressive write a post and not mention their name even though everybody in the world knows that it's directed towards them and you're just hoping that something good's going to come of it and it never does. It, biblically, it says if you have been offended by somebody, you go and connect with them. And if you share your heart and they see that maybe they hurt you and you guys reconcile and they, and they respond, like, that's amazing. You guys just resolved a conflict, avoided drama. But it says if that doesn't happen in the next verse, and it says then you take another person with you or two or three witnesses with you. Basically, you find a mediator, someone to sit down with you and to have this conversation to sort through all the drama of it. And hopefully in that process, you resolve the conflict. And if you resolve the conflict, then that's awesome. Then we're friends again, et cetera, et cetera. And then the last thing is if that doesn't work, then you get the church together. And, and basically, if the drama can't be um, dealt with, then you treat them like they're not a part of the church because they're just being divisive and and causing more drama than anything good, but hopefully along that process, there will be some reconciliation in that hurt relationship. Some of you know that process because you've been around the church and you've heard it maybe preached on or talked about, but what's interesting is the two next verses never get lumped in with these ones. 
Sometimes we view it like this is the, the verses on conflict resolution, and then the next two verses are completely different and separate. But Jesus wrote verse or spoke verse 19 and 20 in conjunction, in context of resolving conflict. Now what's interesting is I'm going to read this passage of Scripture to you, and you're going to realize that many people have taken it out of context when you think of it in terms outside of conflict. So here we go, Matthew chapter 18, verse 19 and 20, the two verses I want to key on. It says, again, truly, this is going off of conflict resolution, again, truly, if I tell you that two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it'll be done for them by my Father in heaven. And a lot of us, we read that and go, man, I told you, that's biblically, that if I just get another believer and we pray for anything, that God just like waves his magical prayer wand and just rains down blessings. So a lot of us, we view that like, hey, you know, hey, come up here, let's pray for a lottery ticket. Like, you know, we agree on that, that if we get it, we'll split it. God, help us to win the lottery. And we view this verse as just this verse that, that, that is just God giving us what we want. But that is so out of context. It is in the context of conflict resolution, of relationships coming back together. And then, of course, in verse 20 where it says, For where two or three gathered in my name, there I am with them. And we go, man, see, aren't we in church this morning? And two of us are gathered together, so the church is happening. But truly, he's talking about conflict resolution. So I want to go through this verse by verse because I believe that it speaks to this truth that couples that pray together ultimately stay together. So let's start with verse 19. Again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth, okay, two of you, how many people are in a marriage? Two, husband, wife. If there's a third, you're in trouble. Okay, that's not really a successful marriage. So if two of you, husband and wife, will agree about Anything here on earth, it'll be done for you by my Father in heaven. Now, some of you are going to see, that's the, that's the trick right there. If you have to agree about something in order for God to do it. And some of you go, man, me and my spouse, we can't agree about anything. I mean, everything is a fight. I mean, we try to pick a restaurant after church on Sunday, and I want Dickie's and she wants Olive Garden, and we just can't even come to a resolution right there. Shannon and I, a couple ways that we model this is um, we always think we can be budget conscious or, or financial conscious. We go out to dinner, like, let's split a meal, right? The problem with that is you have to agree upon the same entree to split the meal. Usually an entree has enough for us to both eat, but I want a steak, and she wants some sort of froofy pasta salad thing, <laughs> And I just go, you know, the heck with it. Let's each get our own because we're never going to come to grips here. Or the way we spend our money, you know, like all the extra money. I could just go and buy every, any, any hunting thing on the, on, on the planet. I could just justify spending the money. She's going, that is the stupidest thing on the earth. And she would go and she would buy things like going to the spa and that sort of stuff. And I'm going, that's the craziest thing on the planet. And, um... It's just one of those things, like, you know, if you're married, it's hard enough to just agree on the basic things. But if your marriage is in crisis, if your marriage is rocky, I have a feeling that you guys are disagreeing on some of the most important things in your marriage. 
Maybe you and your spouse today came in here feeling like you're oil and water and everything is a fight and it doesn't matter if it's sex or if it's finances or if it's parenting, some of the big things you know, you just, you just cannot agree on and you allow those things to begin to drive a wedge into you and pretty soon after time, the wedge gets driven so deep there becomes a gap that goes between the husband and the wife and you, go, you start to look at that gap and you go, man, that is too wide we will never be able to bridge that gap. One of the most common reasons for divorce today is irreconcilable differences. We're just two different people who have two different ideas on how to do life. And I would say to you today, no, duh. No freaking duh. <laughs> one's a man. One's a woman. Two different personalities. Two completely different backgrounds, you will in marriage have a hard time agreeing upon anything. Let's just be honest there. That's just, it's just the fact of it. A disagreement is part of marriage. Two broken people living in relationship together are going to fight. And so when I hear that couples file for irreconcilable difference, I'm going, well, that's obvious, okay? Like every one of us who got married is irreconcilably different. And we'll talk about that in a few weeks from now. But here's the thing. You might not agree about anything, but if you can agree about one thing, it would change everything. You, you may be so far apart in your marriage right now. You may feel like oil and water. You may feel like your home is a hostile environment. You may feel like it's ir- irreconcilable. There's no hope for this marriage. And you're probably right. There's a lot of things to disagree about. But if you can agree upon one thing, and this is what I want to challenge the married couples to agree upon today. If you could just agree upon this one thing, it would change everything that you agree that you want to make the relationship work. Not agree that you know how to make it work. Not agree that you guys are perfect and everything's going well or that you guys are all of a sudden are on the same page. I'm not asking you to agree on those things, but today, just for a moment, as a husband and wife, if you could just agree on this one thing, that all of those differences aside, you really genuinely want this marriage to work. You just don't know how. You just don't know what to do, but you can agree upon the fact that you actually do love each other. You just don't know what to do but you want to make it work, I believe you can start somewhere big. Because in the context of reconciliation, the context of conflict, which this statement is being written, you get two people who've offended each other in the same room. They may not agree on who's in the wrong and who's in the right. But if they can both agree that they want this friendship, this relationship to work, God can take that and do something. That's why the scripture says, if two of you agree about anything and they ask for it, it'll be done for them by my Father in heaven. That's not winning the lottery. That's called reconciling a relationship. Because I want to plead with you before you start to believe that your marriage is hopeless. Give God a chance. Give God a chance to do something incredible in your life. Just agree today, just agree today that you want your relationship to work. But oftentimes when a marriage is struggling, it seems like there's one person to commit in to make it better and another person who's already giving up. And not to say that God can't work through that process, but I want you to see the truth in here. It, it takes two. It takes two people who are committed 
takes two people, not to have everything figured out, not to do it, but for this scripture, it says if two of you will at least just agree that you want it to work out, because I've seen so many times in the context of relationship where one spouse is so committed and the other person just refuses, says I've already given up, and as unfortunate as it is, sometimes we see this thing called divorce, which God didn't design to happen take place. But what's amazing is when you see couples that are in conflict who can't seem to get along, if they just all of a sudden go, you know what, I don't know how to do this. I've been to a lot of conferences, I've been to counselors, and nothing seems to work, but at the end of the day, we both want this marriage to work. It's amazing what happens in that, and if they go before God and they agree upon it, God does the miraculous. It's so, so good. God wants your marriage to work. He really does. And today, I'm just pleading with you, just agree agree on that today. Agree that you want your marriage to work. And take it before the Father, and it will be done for them by your Father in heaven. And here's why I believe this is so true. Matthew chapter 18, verse 20. It says, for, for where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. I love that. So husband and wife, if you gather in the name of the Father, and you go before him and say, I don't know what else to do, but we want this marriage to work It says that God is with you, and that changes everything. That's the X factor in the whole equation. You see, when two people come together in Christ's name, he is there, and Jesus changes everything. And I put this in my notes, and I believe this wholeheartedly. The presence of God has the power to heal. The presence of God has the power to restore The presence of God has the power to forgive. The presence of God has the power to do all the things that we cannot do on our own. You see, you may not have that in you to forgive the hurt that your spouse caused you. You may, you know, be struggling with some sort of deep hurt that just can't seem to find healing. I believe that it's in the presence of God When God breaks in and enters in, forgiveness is possible because he can do what we cannot do. He does the impossible. I believe, and I put this in my notes too, that God is greater than our differences. God is greater than our hurts. God is greater than our fears. God is greater than the gap that stands between each other right now. God is the one who can bridge that gap. I believe firmly, and this is the gospel, that on our own we're unable to overcome. But God, in his great love for us, sent his son Jesus to do what we cannot do, which is to bring salvation, which is to bring healing, which is to bring forgiveness for those that respond to it. Why would we not invite it into our marriage? Why do we receive that personally as individuals, but when it comes to our marriage, we don't invite God into our marriage in that way? God is the author of salvation. He can save a marriage Ecclesiastes chapter 4 verse 12 says this, a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. And when the third strand is Jesus, I believe the cord is unbreakable. Now the third strand is not another human being. You know, ladies, 
just because there's a guy at work who's got a nice listening ear and he will listen to all the problems within your marriage and oh, he just gets me and he understands me and my husband, he doesn't and we fight when we talk but when, when I go to lunch with this guy, he just hears me and, and listens to my thing. Listen, that's not the third strand that the Bible is talking about. That third strand will break your cord every single time. The third strand is Jesus Christ and he unites us together in a way that we are unbreakable in our marriage, in our relationships. Now we can clap for that. So here are a couple things, amazing things that happens when we pray together. When you pray together every single day as a couple, why I believe you'll stay together. And I have three, three kind of points of why I believe when couples pray together, they stay together. And the first thing is this. When you pray with your spouse, it promotes um, intimacy, not intimacy, my first one is encourages unity. When you pray with your spouse, it encourages unity. Like I said, you may not agree on anything, but when you come before the Father, it unites you as a couple. Now I want to show a slide here of, of, to illustrate what I'm talking about. Maybe some of you have seen this before, but this is kind of the picture of how marriage is supposed to work. You have God at the top. He's the one who created marriage, and then you have a husband and a wife. And it's a triangle, and you'll notice in a triangle, the further away you move from God, the further the husband and wife become apart. But the closer you draw to God, the more united, the more one that you become. The closer that you go to God, the more together you become. Sometimes we think it's the opposite, right? We just go like, just do our own thing and, 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 and whatever. And so, but we find ourselves, the further we go away from God, the further we get pulled apart. And in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, it's the only two chapters, by the way, this is really cool, the only two chapters in Scripture that we have of what a sinless, perfect world was designed and looks like. Think about that. Every other chapter in Scripture, every other book in the Bible is after the fall of mankind. But Genesis 1 and 2 give us what God designed as to be the perfect world. And in Genesis chapter 2, he created marriage. He created for man to be united to his wife. And I want to read this passage right here, this one piece of Scripture, because it describes this idea of unity. Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, it says this. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. I love that. Now, obviously, you know, scripturally, it says that Eve was fastened from the rib of man, and so because of that, of course, there's that one flesh tie, but I believe it's a one flesh of two becoming one, this kind of perfect imagery that's seen in the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit living in perfect unity with one another, and when we come together as, as husband and wife, we are the, the, the bride of Christ, and we are Jesus Christ being united together as one inseparable flesh. Second thing that happens when we pray together daily is it promotes intimacy. Praying together takes intimacy to a whole nother level. Sometimes we think of intimacy in only terms of sex, like sex is the most intimate act. But I'm here to tell you that it is not the most intimate act. Praying with one another is the most intimate act. There's so many couples who get the horse ahead of the cart and they move that, that sexual intimacy along very fast only to find that it doesn't hold them together. 
In fact, sometimes when you put that horse before the cart, it actually rips a, 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 a relationship apart. And when we elevate this one physical act, we totally misunderstand that it's actually spiritual intimacy that holds us together. And prayer is the absolute foundation of that. I've heard godly people warn young couples that are dating. They say, hey, don't pray together because if you pray together, it's going to accelerate the intimacy in your relationship and you may not be ready for where that's going to take you. And um, that's actually pretty good advice. But putting it into the context of marriage, if you want to accelerate your intimacy, then maybe it starts with praying with one another, praying together. See what God does in that. Because I believe that true intimacy doesn't start in the bedroom. It starts as a couple gets on their knees and holds hands together and agrees about the only one thing they can agree upon, which is, God, we want this thing to work. Come into this marriage and do what only you can do. And that becomes this incredible accelerant of intimacy in your marriage like you've never had before. The third thing, and I've talked about this a little bit, and I think this is the thing that changes everything. When you pray together daily as a couple, prayer invites God into your relationship. I know it's so simple. But if you have your Bibles open, what I want you to do is almost just flip one page ahead to Matthew chapter 19, the very next chapter of Scripture. Matthew 18, we've been camping in. But if you go to Matthew chapter 19, Jesus says this incredible statement about what he can do and what we cannot do. Matthew chapter 19, verse 26 says, Jesus looked at them and said, With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Some of you, who, as you stand right now in your marriage, it's, it's struggling that there's that big gap between you that seems to get widening on your own. It might just be an insurmountable, impossible situation. But you invite Jesus into the equation the one who makes the impossible possible, you just change the game. I love that. If the, if this, if the marriages in our church today would just agree to, to pray together, to invite Jesus into the situation, I believe that God can heal your marriage. I don't think it'll be easy. I'm not naive. I don't think from that point forward that, that, that things are going to be perfect and you won't have ups and downs. I mean, that's just part of life. But I know that when we have the, the one who sustains us, the covenant keeper, the perfect one, the faithful one, leading and guiding our marriage, I believe that we are unbreakable as we lean into him. So I'm telling you, that scripture instructs, that the studies have shown, that wisdom has said, that couples that pray together truly do stay together. I believe it with my whole heart. Honestly, I think if, if, if you know, next week we're going to talk about conflict resolution a little bit more, we're going to get some real practical application and challenges. And some of you are going, this sounds too simple to be true, but I would say to you, what have you got to lose? And I want to issue a challenge today. I want, it's, I'm going to call it the 30-day prayer challenge. I want all the married couples in the church today to start today to commit to praying with each other every single day for the next 30 days and see what happens in your marriage. 
Now, I know it's going to take some commitment. Some of you might be working in another state or another location. You might have to call each other on the phone and pray together. Some of you might have to turn off the TV at night after the kids go to bed and sit, kneel next to your own bed and pray together. It might take some changing of your schedule, but I want to challenge the couples in the church because I believe it. If we will come before our Father and ask for Him to do a work in our marriage and we do it daily and surrender to Him, that we will see marriages transformed by His grace and His power. It's the 30-day prayer challenge. Will you take me up on it? Now there's a difference. We're calling this sermon series the best advice that I ever got. There's a difference between wisdom and foolishness, wisdom and folly. And it's not knowledge. It's application of knowledge. The wise person hears something good and applies it to their life immediately. The fool hears something good and they say, wow, that was a nice sermon. That was really cool. Where do we want to go for lunch today? And just and just avoids it and says, I'm not going to try that. I want us to have a, be a church of wise people who are just willing to get let and give God the chance to do what only God can do. I know it's not easy for me. Shannon, I'm not up here saying, Shannon and I, we've, we've never missed a day of prayer together. You know, like we're the holiest couple out there. We've had our ups and downs. And this 30-day prayer challenge is going to test us. It's going to be difficult for us. We're going to have to find ourselves being creative at times to pray with one another because it doesn't always work out. But I want to c- commit this time to that. So now what we're going to do is we're going to close the service out. The worship team is going to come back up. And I want to invite you guys to stand right now with me. And in just a moment after I pray, we're going to close with one last song. And what I want to challenge the church with is, is, is today is this. We're going to have some couples who are going to come forward. They're going to kind of be at each side of the, the front here today. And they're going to just be available. If you in your marriage are struggling or if you have something that's going on and, and you just know that you just need to start with God, start with prayer. During the song, I want to encourage you to be bold, to slip out of your aisle. I know sometimes you're in the middle. You're going, I don't want to bump somebody. I don't want to be awkward about it. You'd forget all that. If God is doing something in your life. You just say, excuse me, get out of the way. I'm going to go down to the altar and I'm going to meet with Jesus and we'll understand and we'll be right behind you praying for you. So if you got something going on today and you just need to come forward and you just need to pray with somebody, maybe it's your marriage, maybe it's a relationship, maybe it's some other, other sort of struggle, but we want to have that available today to come forward and pray with a couple. We're going to close with the song, He is Able. And it's so good because it speaks to the ability of our God to do what we cannot do. And as we sing this song, as we respond to this song, let it be just a reminder in a moment to just reflect on the fact that it's God through His Son, Jesus Christ, that changes everything. And we can lean into Him and not in our own strength and our own abilities. So let's pray together, you guys. Jesus, thank you for the chance to get into your word today. God, I pray that um, as a church, we would invite you into our marriages. Lord, we wouldn't just acknowledge you with our mouth that we go to church, that we believe in you, but yet never spend time inviting you into our relationships. So I tell you today that all of us would take on this burden, this challenge to invite you into our relationship. You are the salvation of our individual soul and you can be the salvation of our one flesh marriage. And so we commit that to you. We love you, we thank you. We know that you are able. Amen.